Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. You never know what's going to happen here at Freedom Church, right? What are they going to put spam? They're going to bring up crickets. What's happening? And, and it, like, so irrational, some of the fears that we have. Like, what is it? Oh, you never know what it is. But if you're like most people, chances are you've battled one or many different fears throughout your life. And what's interesting is studies show that when we're growing up, that most people are only afraid of two things naturally. You know what those two things are? We have the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Those are the only two fears that are natural to us as human beings. But as we grow, we accumulate all sorts of different learned fears. Some people have some strange fears. I want to play with you a quick game this morning. I'm going to name a phobia. It's another word for fear, and you are going to guess it. So here's this. Can anybody, can anybody, can anybody tell me what filmophobia is? Filmophobia. Anybody know? Filmophobia. Filmophobia is the fear of what? Anybody know? It's the fear of kissing. Like some of you guys are like, my wife got that fear right after we got married. What happened there, right? Maybe I want some lip, you know. Here's the next one. The next fear is nomophobia. Man, people, like, especially teenagers, are overcome with this fear. Adults are overcome with this fear. This fear is a plague in our culture, seriously. It's a real thing. Nomophobia is this. It's the fear of being without your cell phone. You're like, oh, it's gone for 10 seconds. How am I going to live without my cell phone? Nomophobia. How many of you guys know somebody with nomophobia? Point to them right now. They can't live without their cell phone. Okay. This is a legit fear. It's a fear that I've had several times, especially on long trips. It's called osmophobia. You know what osmophobia is? Osmophobia is the fear of body odor. You're like, smells like Whataburger in here. Oh, not. Ugh. That's an onion smell that's not coming from a burger, right? I hate that. This next fear is called pentrophobia. Man, anybody know what pentrophobia is? Some of you guys had to face this during Christmas and Thanksgiving. Because, man, pentrophobia comes from a vicious soul. One of the meanest creatures in all of our culture. You know what it is? Pentrophobia comes from your mother-in-law. The fear of your mother-in-law. Just kidding, mom. If you're listening, Carmen, I love you. I'm just saying this for laughs at church. Just kidding. <laughs> this, not, this next one is a ratchabutrophobia. Seriously, it's a ratchabutrophobia. I think I might be like, what's that? It's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Disgusting. You're like, oh, ugh, ugh. keep that up there. Like, oh, that is messed up. This next, phobia, this next phobia is called Oprah phobia. It's not the fear of watching Oprah, but it is the fear of being forced to read terrible books. I guess Oprah has a book club, so I think that's seriously, it's a real name, Oprah phobia. This next fear is probably one of the most legitimate fears. And if you come into contact with somebody with this fear, you stay away from them. This fear is called hapophobia. You know what hapophobia, anybody know what hapophobia is? It's the fear of being touched. Touch somebody and say, do you have hepaphobia right now? Touch them. Hepaphobia! Hepaphobia. They don't have it right there. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of heights? Are you afraid of mice? Are you afraid of snakes? Spiders? Are you afraid of clowns? Clowns are not scary unless it's after midnight. 
you see a clown after midnight, be afraid. Be very afraid. But everybody is scared of something. Some people are afraid of the future. Some people are afraid of getting an illness. Some people are afraid of taking that step of obedience to God. Fear is not always rational, but it's powerful. We know that when we look at somebody else's fear and say, that's crazy. How can you be afraid of that? But we look at our own fears and we think it's totally normal. But we all have our own crazy fears. And when fear enters your life, you go into one of three modes. You go into fight mode, you go into flight mode, or you go into fright mode. Some of you are tough. If fear comes in there, like you mess with you, get afraid, man, watch your way. They'll punch you in the face. You try to scare somebody and you get chin checked. That ever happened to you? You do that to me. That's what happened to you. You try to scare me. I'll punch you. That's me. I'm a fighter. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Some of you flee. You run from conflict. You run from danger or potential failure. Other person, there's fright mode. Some of you go straight to fright mode. You get paralyzed. You freeze up. Here's what I want to let you about fear. Fear is important to understand about fear. Because the Bible talks a lot about fear, and fear comes from one thing. Fear comes from unbelief. I want you to think about this practically, just for a second. Why are most people afraid of snakes? Why are you afraid of snakes? You're afraid of snakes because you think that snake's going to bite you and you're going to die. You think it could be a rattlesnake. Man, you don't think a snake is nice. You think a snake is mean. So the, man, there's some people that aren't afraid of snakes, but the reason that you're afraid of snakes is you think some reason that snakes are not nice animals and it's going to kill you. That's why you're afraid of snakes. For me, talk about my fear. I'm afraid of water. Why am I afraid of water? Because no matter what, no matter how many times people tell you, I don't believe you can float. People say, just calm down, relax, you'll float. Not me. My bones are made of vibranium or something, man. They say muscle is heavier than, you know, the other thing. And so that's why, that's why I can't, I sit down there, I can't tell any people, let me just float, float, go to the bottom. I don't believe you can float. At least I don't believe I can float. And I believe if water comes in and it's going over my eyeballs, then I'm going to die. And that's why I'm afraid of it. I can't tell you how many times, like, if, if, even if I feel like I can't touch, I'm like, I'm drowning. I'm screaming. And, and Jennifer or a lifeguard tells me, oh, Benito, stand up. How many times in marriage have you told me, Benito, I remember first time we're in South Padre. We're hanging out romantic, having our little baby moon before Alana comes. We're walking down there. And all of a sudden, we get one of those things. And I'm like, oh, Jennifer. I'm like, Seriously, she'll tell you the truth. And she just tells me, Benito, stand up. Oh, okay. Just faking you out. And she knew I really couldn't swim. Here's what I want you to know about fear. Fear comes from faulty beliefs. It comes from something that's not true or believing something wrong. And that's why fear is such a great uh, sin in the Bible towards God. It's not truly understanding who God is. That's why God takes fear so seriously. Because every one of our fears especially spiritually, come from a faulty view of how big and how amazing and how incredible our God is. And I pray with you this morning that God begins to speak to you about your fears. And he begins to reframe your fears in the lens of who you are, of who he is. Because here's what I want to let you know about fears. Fear reveals where you trust God the least. For example, if you're always worried about your marriage, you're not trusting God with your marriage. If you're always worried about your children... You're not trusting God to protect your children. You're not trusting God's plan for your children. So what you say, Lord, I am going to worry and contribute to what you're doing. Like worrying ever helps. And fear and worry will show where we don't trust God. 
If you don't trust God with your financial well-being, you say, God, I'm going to keep my tithe. I'm not going to trust that you're good. And you're saying, I don't trust for you to provide. Here's what I want you to do. Be really honest for a moment before God and answer this question. Fill in the blank. I'm not trusting God with what? What's that area? Your children, your future, your health, your career. This morning, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as the Lord shows you. Jesus, reframe my thinking. Help me with my fear. Help me to see how big you are, God. And right now, Holy Spirit, right, right, what is it? What, what's that thing you're afraid of right now? Say, God, help me to not see my fear anymore. By the end of this message, help me to see you. Just ask him. Open my eyes to see you in a bigger way. Amen. See, last week, we saw this. That it was fear that kept Israel from entering the promised land. And then this week, we're picking up the story 38 years later in the book of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1. If you remember last week, Joshua brought Israel to the edge of the promised land. He sent in 12 spies. Ten brought a report of fear to a report of faith. The report of fear spread throughout of Israel instead of the report of faith because the majority always wins. And what happens is that because of that, God says that not one of them would enter into the promised land. And then he said all of them would die except for the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who brought back the report of faith. And what should have been an 11-day march into the promised land, what should have been an 11-day walk turns to 40 years of wandering, turns into a debacle in what I call the longest funeral march in history. If you think of an entire generation dying and millions of people that came out of Egypt by the best reckoning of scholars, it's about 1.2 million people who died during those 38 years. 1.2 million people dying over a 40-year span, that's about 85 people a day kicking the bucket. So every waking hour of every waking day, people are dying off. And there is this constant reminder of this truth that the wages of sin is death. And in the book of Joshua, I want you to understand this is so powerful, such a practical book, such a theological book, but there are so many types and foreshadows to the gospel in Christ in the book of Joshua. Moses represented the law. Moses took him up there. The Bible says in Galatians, it's the schoolmaster. The law allows us to see the promised land, but it never gets us in there. Moses took him to the promised land, but it was Joshua who takes God's people into the promised land. By the way, did you know this? The Hebrew name for Joshua is Yeshua. It's the same name that Jesus comes from, Yeshua. This is the same exact name. Jesus in the original Hebrew was Yeshua of Nazareth. And Yeshua means this. This is the, or, or, the origin of the name. It means our God saves. What a beautiful type. John 1.17 says this. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And just as Joshua brought them to the edge of the land, it was Yeshua. Joshua took him to the promised land. And the same thing with us. Our Yeshua, Jesus, he takes us into the fullness of salvation. And he allows us to experience everything God has planned for us. And as the book of Joshua opens, 38 years later, here's what happens. Moses, the legendary liberator, leader, and lawgiver, is dead. After four decades of leading God's people, he's dead. And God is telling Joshua, Yeshua, it's his turn to lead the people. Pick it up in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, 
You and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them. And Joshua has to be thinking, wait, I can't do this. The guy I served for decades is dead. I'm just an assistant. I'm not qualified. I'm not ready. And on top of asking Joshua to lead God's people into the promised land, Joshua has to have PSD. Like, man, I've just been here. I was here 38 years ago. I said we should take the land. Nobody listened. What's going to be different this time? See, an entire generation was overcome with fear last time. And Joshua has to be thinking this. Oh, man, here we go again. I can reckon my faith, but what about everybody else's faith? I got no control over their faith. What's going to make this time different? It reminds me of a teenager. I used to play a game. I used to love it called Super Mario Brothers. How many old school video gamers love Super Mario Brothers in the house? Man, I love it. Man, Nintendo, then they got Super Nintendo. But how many of you guys remember playing the Super Mario Brothers classic Nintendo? I can't tell, tell you how many nights I went without sleep trying to save the princess. And one of the biggest fails of my childhood that I'm still ashamed to this day, I never saved the princess. I can't tell you how many times I get to the final level just to die. I'm there. I even get all those lives. I think there's one level where you keep hitting that, like that, uh, that turtle and keep... I get all these lives and I die in that stupid last level. Man, you got all these fireballs coming at you, all these flying hammers, and I'm ready. I'm like going, I'm down to my last life. Man, if it wasn't one, it was a hundred times and... That stupid little thing just disappears. I fall into the fire. Those little ninja things hit me. And I got to start at the beginning all over again. And I never made it. Not bitter. Not bitter. But I never felt this feeling right here for you Super Mario fans. How many of you guys saved the princess and felt this? Raise your hand if you saved the princess. I've never only seen this on YouTube. Oh, this is where I would die. I hate you. I hate you. childhood memories right I can't tell man uh, can't tell you what Josh was thinking kind of like I was in that last level I've been here before been so close last time I said we should take the land what's the difference now maybe you're in the same place as Joshua at the beginning of 2019 there was a time when you were full of faith you expected God to move in your life but life happened things didn't turn out like you thought You didn't get the job. The marriage didn't work out. God didn't answer prayers like you thought he was. You thought you would be farther. You thought you would be here and now you're there. And here you are years later. And you got to be wondering, where is God? Your once great faith is now overtaken with fear. And here's the big idea from this story. That fear isn't always a sin. But it's an opportunity to either sin or to trust God. And that's exactly where Joshua is in here. He's faced with fear and he has an opportunity right now. Is he going to sin and stay out of the promised land or is he going to trust God? This is the same decision that the Israelites had to make 38 years before. And in this story, we will see the opposite happen. We will learn how to follow God's plan and faith. And the first thing to do, if we are going to follow God's plan and faith, this is what we learn from Joshua. We need to obey God's word in spite of our fear. Look at verse 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, to the great river, to the 
Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea of the west. God said to Joshua, instead of staying here, I know that you're afraid, but move forward in faith, not in fear. Sometimes you got to do some things even when you're afraid. you got to keep trusting God. And when you do it, you can't imagine that God tells Joshua, I'm going to bless you. See, when we move forward in faith, instead of standing still in fear, God moves in our lives. And I've seen this many times throughout my life. Everything I've ever done in life, every time God has taken me to another level in my walk with God, I have been overcome with fear. But I've seen God do miracles. I remember the first time when I decided to go to Bible college as a teenage boy. I was the first one to be a, go to college ever, first college graduate in my family. Man, I had gotten a local scholarship at one of the local colleges. I'd have to go a thousand miles away from home. My parents loved me. They supported me as much as they could. But how many of you guys know they didn't have extra, man, several ten, tens of thousand dollars just aside so I can go to college. So I didn't have the money. I was going to give up a scholarship, a sure thing to go to college and become a minister. Nobody in my family had ever been in the man of the cloth. How would I even do it? And I said, you know what, God, I'm going to follow you. I've never been to this place called Texas before, but I'm going to go there. I'm going to study to be a pastor. I believe that you call me to be there. And I remember getting in my car by faith, moving forward, and God provided. God was faithful. And look today, God's called me to be a pastor. There's a church here today because I took a step of faith, even though I was faced with fear. When God called me to plant Freedom Church, we didn't know a single person. We didn't know anybody in this city. We didn't even have any resources. But as we came, said, God, I know you're calling me in spite of my fear. I'm afraid. I don't know how I'm going to pay the insurance for my kids. I don't know how we're going to pay the rent. I don't know what's going to happen. But God, I believe that you're calling me. And I believe that you're going to lead me. And guess what? Today, in 2019, I preached one time. Now I'm preaching again. There'll be youth service. We'll have a worship night. There is a full-blown church up here in Round Rock, Texas. Because God responds to our faith. Even now with the property, as we've seen this journey, we didn't, have the, we didn't have the money to get the loan. We got the loan finally, but we needed $120,000. I remember hearing we need $120,000 finally. Like they were trying to decide whether they were going to give us the loan or not. They finally gave us the loan. I called Jennifer and said, babe, they gave us a loan, but we need $120,000 a month. And she said, good luck with that. I'm like, I know. <laughs> And I remember getting on the plane when I was with Pastor Ron at that time. And I'm getting on the plane, and I, I did the only thing you can do in a moment like that, sleep. <laughs> like, are you gonna, like, I don't even want to think about that. But I remember waking up 30,000 feet in the sky. Just faith came over me, and God said, you're going you're gonna to do it. God's going to be with you. I'm leading you. I'm guiding with you. And guess what? After 30 days, not only do we have 120K, God gave us 160,000, and we're getting ready to start the building in that next process, and we don't have the resources for that. But our God is able. We can either stand still in fear, or we can move forward in faith, and we can see God do miracles. But we want it the other way, don't we? God, if you bless me, then I'll move forward. God says, if you move forward, then I'll bless you. See, we want to experience miracles, but we never want to put ourselves in a place where we need a miracle. And God's going to put Joshua in the places over and over and over unless God shows up. Nothing's going to happen. And I want you to see how this happens. It's little step by little step by little step. Look at verse 3. I will give you every place where you set your foot. 
Where is it that you want God to move in your life? See, God's operation in your life is followed by human cooperation. God's operation and his movement only goes through with your human cooperation. There is that tension that needs to take place. Joshua says, Joshua, I'm going to give it to you. I'll give you the land. And they ended up possessing, guess what? Just 10% of the promised land. 90% of what was promised them they didn't possess. But they put their foot on 10% of the promised land. And they're able to walk in the promise of the land. You know what? There are 3,000 promises in the Bible that God has for you. But we got to step out and we got to claim that. What do you need to claim God for? Because God's not going to give it to you unless you move. We're waiting for God to move. But God is saying, I move when you move. When you take a step of faith, I'm right after you. You take a step, I'll follow you there. I'll guide you. You're waiting for me to go. Guess what? I wait for nobody. I'm waiting for you to go. I gave you the land. You take the step. So what's the step you got to take? It might be your personal finances. Lord, I want to move. I want, but start tithing. Start trusting God. It might be your family. Start honoring the Lord with your family. Start taking devotions. Start praying over them. Start fasting over your family. It might be your career. Take that step. Take that class. Apply for that job. When you move, God will move. Where do you have to trust God? Where do you have to walk in? God is waiting for you to move. God's operation is dependent on human cooperation. So what do we need to do? And guess what? When you're going through that, you're going to be afraid. It's going to be scary. And when you're afraid, God has a command for you. The command is this, fear not. This is the most frequently mentioned command in the entire Bible. And if God says something a lot, it must be really important. Because this is important because this is a real problem for all of us. And I want you to know, if it was just a command, that'd be good. Okay, fear not. How can I? You just can't give a command. This command, the reason it's so powerful, is accompanied by a powerful promise. And you see it in verse 5. Look at this. No one will stand against you, Joshua, all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Moses to this day is regarded as the ultimate Jewish persona, persona in the Old Testament. To fill his shoes and to feel the weight of the mantle of leadership on Joshua must have been overwhelming for him. But I so love the promise God gives Joshua. Look, as I was with Moses, Joshua, in the same way, I'm going to be with you. Circle, underline, highlight, smiley face, scribble all around it. God promises Joshua, I'll be with you. What made Moses a great leader? God. What will make Joshua a great leader? God. What will make you a great leader and a great ploy, a great father, a great mother? God. Moses was a great leader because Moses believed God to be a great God. And if we are going to enter into everything God has planned for us, we must remember that God is with us and he is great and mighty. God promises Joshua, so I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. How else are you going to explain the things that happened in the book of Joshua without God? How else are you going to explain that the Jordan River just parts for no reason? How else do you explain that the most fortified city of the, dead, of the day the walls just crumble. How else do you explain that the sun stands still? You can't explain it unless God is doing it. 
So God promises, Joshua, I'm going to be with you. Nobody will stand against you. And I want to let you know that the main character in the book of Joshua is not Joshua. It's Joshua's God. And the main character in your life should not be you. It should be God. And take heart in that, that God is with you. I pray that the main character in your life is God. I hope you're relying on him. That's why we're starting this year with a 21-day fast. That's why we're saying, God, I'm at the end of my rope. I need you in my family. I need you in my business. I need you in my life. I can't do this without you. God, I give you control of my life. Because when we do that, God begins to move. And we have only God moments. God wants to do those things in your life. We're like, man, it's only God that I got this job. It's only God that my family is together. It's only God that we were able to walk in that purpose. You know, the only way we can have only God moments is if God shows up. And God wants you to have an only God life where you look back and you say, only God. See, this week I was on social media. And I came across a post from a former recognizable pastor and church planner who I once knew. I've been to his conferences he was one of the most up-and-coming, rising star pastors in the mid-2000s. But what happened, he started off ministry, he planted his own church. He lost his ministry and family after completing a building project, got caught up in some self-destructive behavior. And right now, he still loves the Lord, but he, he wrote this post. He says this, and God is restoring, but every time, I think he has some faulty thinking of what it means to really walk with God and planning a church. Because he said this, every time I see a friend announcing their plans to plan a church, I bow my head and I pray. They have the strength of Hulk, the ingenuity of Batman, and the determination of adamant. And I thought to myself, being a successful church planner doesn't mean having all those things. All you need to do is learn to walk with an almighty God and let him do the heavy lifting. You don't need great abilities to accomplish great things for God. You need a great God that you learn to rely in and trust in and walk with. And he will do what you can never do. You don't need the strength of health, the ingenuity of Batman. But you can have the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end with you. And if he is with you, he will do what you can never do. I've learned this in the last first seven years of my ministry. I thought if I study enough, if I plan enough, if I strategize enough, then God could bless it. And over the last year and a half, I said, God, unless you move, only you can do these things. And I have seen God do only God moments over and over again. And I promise you, Freedom Church, this year we will see by faith, I'm prophesying this, we will see some incredible God moments that will jaw, make our jaws drop and we'll say, wow, God, only God. Because we are going to walk into some places so unless God shows up, it cannot be done. But I am fully, fully aware that my God is able. And your God is able to do the same thing in your life. And look at what Joshua tells. God tells Joshua in verse 9. It's so important. Don't forget this. This is the most important thing that he tells Joshua in verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. Circle, underline, highlight, smiley face. Scribble that up. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I want you to notice the promise God makes. Joshua, what does he say? I'll be with you. He might say, hey, Benito, uh, did you ever seen your moment right now? You're repeating yourself. Did you just say that? Yes. You know why I'm repeating myself? Because God repeated himself. Why did God say this again and again? And why did God say it again? Because God knows human nature. 
He knows how quickly we forget. He knows how easily we get discouraged, how easily fear creeps in. Creeps in. And God wanted Joshua to know. Before he moved forward, he wanted him to know this. Hey, just in case you forgot, one more time, Joshua, I'll be with you. Joshua, you see all this? You don't have to do this on your own. I am walking this. They're my people. This is my dream. This is what I want to do. I'm just choosing to use you. Doesn't that feel liberating? If God's put a dream in your heart, it's not your dream to accomplish. It's his. Your job is to learn to trust him. Your job is to learn to obey. Your job is to follow him. But this is a beautiful promise. It's throughout the Bible. Throughout scripture, all over, God's people hear it over and over and over again. You can see it in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, our first father in Genesis 3. He sins, he's hiding, he's afraid, he's naked. God comes and says, where are you, Adam? Don't worry, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to cover your shame. I'm with you, Adam, even in your sin. I'm with you. And then when God begins to establish a people that he would bring the Messiah, he calls a man by the name of Abraham. And he says, fear not, Abraham, I'm your shield. I'm, hey, I want you to try. I want you to go. I'm not going to tell you where it is. I'm not going to give you all the details. Just know I'm with you. And God tells Abraham, like a shield that goes in front of you, I will be present with you, and I will protect you. I'll go before you. Moses in Exodus 33, 14. My presence will go with you. Moses is asking, how can I lead these people? They're hard-headed. They don't listen. They're a bunch of middle schoolers. It's like parenting. They're fighting. He touched me. No, she touched me first. Ah, a bunch of whiners. God's answer isn't, here's a map or here's a manual. You know what God told Moses? I'm with you. That's all you need. I'm with you. I'm with you. Elijah on the battlefield, on the brink of war in 2 Kings 1.15, he cries out, Elijah, fear not. Talk about a moment to be afraid. Am I going to get hurt? Am I going to get killed? Am I going to have a war wound and never be the same again? Will we win? Will we lose? And God just comes along and says, Elijah, I'm not giving you all the answers, but fear not, I'm with you. How about King David? He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. David says, it doesn't matter how bad it gets. God is with me. Everything might not be okay, but I'm going to be okay because you're with me. I walk through the valley of shadow of death. I might have death. I might have disease. I might have all these struggles come my way. Fear might overcome me. But guess what? My God is with me. Amen. Daniel 10, verse 12. He's Put in there is a little kitty snack. They're about to have a Daniel feast, not a Daniel fast. They put him with lions, and he says, Fear not, Daniel. I have come. Haggai 2, 4, and 5. He says it over and over three times. Be strong. He says, Be strong, be strong. Why? Because he just got trained in Krav Magav? Because he's been lifting weights for the new year? Because he's a UFC fighter? No. He says, Be strong. Because I am with you, declares, declares the Lord Almighty. And it's just not men, it's women too. Mary, Jesus' own mother, in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, the angel comes to Mary and says, fear not. She's a teenage girl. She's pregnant. What are people going to think? She could be killed for sexual immorality and that time. On top of that, the love of her life, Joseph could leave her. All her dreams could come falling apart. What is she going to do? And the angel says, 
Fear not. The Holy Spirit has come and God will be with you. We're all going to be afraid. We're all going to have fear. And God's not going to come in and give us all the plans. He's not going to tell us how everything's going to work out. But he gives us this problem. This promise. Fear not. I'm with you. 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 In Freedom Church this morning, I want you to believe that your God is with you. He's with you. I really want you to believe that this morning. Whatever you're going through, the struggle, the financial turmoil, the battles, he is with you. You know, I love being a dad. And I've shared this before. I thought it would stop as the kids were smaller. But even as they get older, sometimes they'll watch something that they shouldn't be watching on TV. Like, not like a fearful movie, a scary movie or whatever. And the girls will come in and... Throughout the years, they've seen, like I've told you, spiders and alligators and robbers that have been underneath the bed. And they've come to my room and crying. I said, Dad, I'm scared. And I always hold her hand, and I hug them, and I pray with them. I said, don't worry, because if Daddy's here, he'll go karate kid on those mugs. Ain't nobody going to mess with him. So they know if Daddy's there, nothing's going to happen to them. And I go with them, and I stay in the bed with them, and I pray with them. And just my presence calms their fears and they go away. Freedom Church, your daddy's with you. He's walking with you. He's behind you. He's in front of you. He's all around you. He's surrounding you. In the midst of this darkness, daddy is with you. And if we could understand that, fear disappears. In the middle of this incredible promise, God gives Joshua some instructions that he needs to do to understand. Because so many times... What is reality is hard to be explained because there's a battle that goes in in our head, right? Because the battle of fear is won in your mind. There's self-talk that goes in there. And that's why he says this in verse 8. It's so important because your self-talk and what you say and what you think in your mind will kind of determine the destiny of your life if you're not careful. But in verse 8, he says this. Keep this book of the law on your lips. Underline that. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Here's the third thing we've got to do if we're going to walk in faith. We've got to repeat God's, re- repeat God's word regularly to ourselves. In other words, you've got to learn to preach to yourself. You've got to learn to win the battle of self-talk and negativity in your mind. And there's only one way to win that with God's word. And notice, why does God tell Joshua in verse 8 to keep this book always on your lips? It doesn't say in your thoughts. It doesn't say in your heart. This is interesting phraseology here. And I believe the answer is found later in the verse when he says meditate on it day and night. The Hebrew word for meditate is the word yige, which means to moan, to mumble to yourself. It's the root word of a low moaning of an animal, a cow, especially as it chews the cud. As they chews it and chews it and it goes up into the digestive system, comes back up. He begins to get all the nutrients. He's just chewing it over. Basically, what God is telling Joshua is you've got to learn to read the word like a cow. You've got to be like a cow. Man, and I understand this. Because right now we're in the middle of a Daniel fast. Thank you for you, those of you in a Daniel fast. God's going to do amazing things. But let's, we're in the middle of it. Let's be honest, two-thirds into it. I am tired of vegetables. I am tired of guacamole. I am, man, I am t- man, yesterday we went out to dinner. I'm like, ugh, i got to eat. Man, I'm telling you, I can't be vegan for more than 21 days unless the Lord told me to do that. But when I get a good steak, 
when we go to a good steakhouse that's medium, I'm sorry, I'm fasting too, so I'm going to say, and I start cutting and they put it in your mouth and the flavor. And this is what, I, this is what Jennifer tells me all the time. I go, mmm, mmm. Jennifer says, you're embarrassing me. Quiet down. Because I'm, I'm like, I'm talking to myself. I'm like, oh, this is good. I'm like having church up in there. Oh, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Oh, oh yes, Lord. You know, I'm pumped. And what I, and that's what God says we need to react towards his word. That we got to put it on our mouth constantly. We got to tell it to ourselves. Like, if you ever go to Israel, you'll notice men praying at the western wall there. And they'll move back and forth, and they'll be praying, and they'll be muttering and moaning to themselves. They'll be saying the prayer kind of to themselves, but in a low kind of moan. This is how they meditate. They're practicing Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 here. This is how they pray. They keep this book on their lips, leaps, meaning the word needs, something needs to be spoken. It needs to be communicated to yourself. Like there's self-talk coming in your mind. There's all these lies that will come to your head. And you need to learn to speak to God's word over your life. Here's what you need to learn. You've got to learn to be the best preacher you know. You need more than Sunday morning. You need more than your favorite preacher on a podcast. If you are going to walk in everything God has called you to do, you got to learn to preach to yourself. You're like, Benito, I am not a preacher. I'm telling you, you got to learn to be a preacher to yourself. You got to learn to motivate yourself because there are times that you're weary. There's times that you're tired. There's times that you're giving up. There's times like you're just walking and walking and it seems like you're never going to get there. Kind of like I've been there before seven, eight years in the storefront doesn't mean like we're getting anywhere god where are you god are you still there but sometimes i have to preach to myself and i have to say god to not grow weary and well doing because in due time you will reap a reward sometimes you got to preach to yourself sometimes it might be like isaiah 40 31 that they who wait on the lord will renew their strength they shall mount up with wings of eagles they shall run and not be weary they shall walk and not grow faint you gotta learn to put god's word in your mouth and motivate yourself to get to that next level in the Lord. Because there's going to be times where you fail in sin. You're going to be overwhelmed with guilt and shame. Let me tell you, I've been walking with the Lord many times. There's going to be times you said something you shouldn't have said. You're like, man, Lord, you're going to have to remind yourself, Romans 8.1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you're going to come in here, and there's going to be Sundays, maybe even this Sunday, you're wanting to worship, you're wanting to crowd to God, and they're going to say, oh, now you're trying to worship. What did you do last night? Look what you said last night. Look what you looked at last night. You should never, you're not worthy to worship. You said, you, and you're going to have to quote 1 John 1, 9, that if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and purify me of all unrighteousness. And now I stand in the righteousness of Christ. So guess what? You're right. I am not worthy to worship, but I walk in the righteousness of Christ, and now I I am an heir to the king, and I can worship. you got to learn to preach to yourself. you got to learn when God calls you to do something bigger than you can handle. You're facing a trial that seems unbearable, and you're like, I cannot handle another moment. You're going to need to learn to get into Philippians when Paul was in prison, and he says, this is not what I wanted, but Lord, you're guiding me through this, and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Even if it's in a prison, God, you are still worthy, and I can walk through this trial with your strength. Or when you're overwhelmed financially, you can say, Lord, my God will provide all my needs according to your riches and glory. His word needs to be in your mouth constantly as you go into the promise of God. 
Because here's the big idea. Fear isn't always a sin, but it's an opportunity to either sin or trust God. See, there's a story of a spy who was captured and sentenced to death in the Persian army. And before his execution, the general would go through this ritual and he'd give the criminal a choice between the firing squad to die by that or a big black door that he didn't know what was going to go through. Who knows what could have been in that big black door. The spy deliberated for a long time and he said, I want to die by the firing squad. They put him up with arrows. They pierced his body. He died. Moments later, after he was executed, the general turned to one of his officers and he said, they always prefer the known way to the unknown. The officer asked, sir, what's behind that door? The general looked at him and says, behind that door is a passage door that leads outside to freedom. But only a few have been brave enough to see it. See, fear is that big black door that has you trapped in less than God's purpose for you. It'll have you executed with the arrows of fear. And this morning, God wants us to let go of our fears and trust him. Because here's the truth of this passage. God's already preparing your future. He's already preparing it. So let me tell you, as this story closes, I don't got time. I'm going to give you the 30,000-foot view. But you can read it. Read the, rest of, read the rest of chapter 1 and look at chapter 2 this afternoon. But God speaks to Joshua. He encourages him. And Joshua sends some spies out to Jericho, a heavily fortified city with monstrous walls around it. And this time, he doesn't send 12 spies. You know how many spies he sends? Two. He learns a lesson. You just need two people who believe in God rather than 12. Man, the majority isn't always right. You need the people that see through eyes of faith. So he sends two spies. And he, he sends, as he sends his two spies, what happens is they go there and they get in contact with a woman by the name of Rahab. Rahab is not exactly the most virtuous woman in there. She's a temple prostitute. But she had heard about what God was doing. She had heard about how God had opened up the, the Red Sea, how God was with Israel. And she knew that God was with them. And she says, I know God's with you. I know he's going to give you this city. And isn't this amazing? She says she literally gets saved right there. This lady of an incredible checkered past. And what's amazing, she becomes one of only four women in the lineage of Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 1. And here she is, a Canaanite prostitute. She becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. And what I find is this. There are souls on the other side of our obedience. On the other side of, man, think about this, Rahab. She would bring in the lineage of the Messiah and God would want the Israelites to walk in there because there are people that need to know Jesus on the other side of us activating the promises of God. Some of you guys are wanting to start a business. Some of you guys want that there's, there's blessings behind that. You're going to be able to reach mission. You're going to be able to fund missionaries and support. Some of you guys, that new career is going to put you in contact with somebody who needs to know about Jesus. In the promised land, there are people there strategically. But going back to Rahab, she says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to hide you. But one thing, one thing, can you do this one thing? Can you spare me and my family? And the spy says, yes, we've seen your faith. We will spare you and the family. One thing you need to do, you need to put a red scarlet thread coming from your house. And we know when there's a red scarlet thread, we know not to go in their attack. And I love that. That red scarlet thread would signify it's a type of Jesus and the foreshadow of the Passover lamb. How the judgment of God does not come on those who are covered in the blood. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Right? You see the gospel in that. And then here's the closing conversation they have in chapter 2, verse 8. It's powerful. God's already moving. Watch how God's already moving, preparing this. Before the spies lay down for the night, she, meaning Rahab, went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land 
That's all it takes to follow Jesus. This prostitute becomes a part of the lineage of Christ just by confessing with her mouth and believing in her heart. We're going to see this. And that's all it means. I know the Lord has given you the land. I know he's awesome. And watch this. And a great fear has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting with fear because of you. What? You remember 38 years ago? Remember last week? They're giants. We're grasshoppers. But those giants were afraid of these little grasshoppers because God was with them. We heard, and this is, what, this is what they heard. We heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did in Sihon and Og to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed them because of you. For the Lord, your God, your God, he's the God of heaven above and he's the God of earth below. See, that's salvation, saving faith. And what's amazing, what's fascinating to me, 38 years ago, God was already wanting to give them the land. 38 years ago, God was already moving on their behalf. 38 years ago, it was already ready. How much of us are just wasting time because fear is keeping us back to what God has already prepared for us. The tent spy says, no, we're grasshoppers, they're giants. But the truth is, they were terrified of the Israelites. And here's what they didn't do. They didn't take God into account. Because they thought they had to do it. They thought they had to walk with it. They thought they had to win. Yes, and if they thought they had to win, there was no way. But you notice the report? The Lord opened the Red Sea. Your God is the God of heaven. Your God will be with you through the trial. Your God will be with you as you face the struggles. Your God will be with you as you chase the dream. It's your God that we're afraid of. The ten spies saw that they had a little God and big obstacles. Joshua and Caleb, they had a big God and little obstacles. Truth is the same here today. If you serve a big God, any obstacle or any person or anything that comes to your life, so what? God is with you. If you have a little God who can't create the heavens and the earth, if you have a little God who can't dry up the Red Sea, if you have a God who can't do all the things the Bible says he did or does or promised he will do, if you have a little God, the obstacles in your life are enormous. You can't do it on our own. You should be afraid. But if you have a big God, if you have a God who spoke the world into existence, if you had a God who promises he'll never leave you nor forsake you, if you had a God who rises the dead, if you have a God who came through a virgin, if you had a God that loves you as much as the cross says he loves you, if you have a God that is that powerful and that mighty, he's going to be with you and you don't have to be afraid. And that is good news. See, we see difficulty. And when we see difficulty, we've got to realize it must always be measured by the capacity of the agent doing the work. If you're doing the work, big giants. But if God is doing the work, big targets. Everybody back here close your eyes. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church Podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.